on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And in that, uh, Matthew puts together a collection of things that Jesus taught, said. It's got lots of interesting common themes. Uh, but, but one of the interesting things about the setting of, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus goes up to a mountain. Duh, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus goes up, he takes the disciples with him. One of the fascinating things about the Gospel of Matthew is that Matthew, uh, if you're ever reading that, just, just know this. Uh, Matthew, especially in the early parts of the book, but throughout, he's got Moses in the back of his mind. And Jesus has a lot in common with Moses. Remember, Moses is born, and his mother hides him because the king has said, no, go kill all those Israelite babies. Jesus is born, and Mary and Joseph flee to Egypt. Why? Because King Herod has said, kill all those babies in Bethlehem. Moses and Jesus have a lot. Moses went up to the top of a mountain, right? Came back down with a law. And really, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's sort of like Jesus did that. Only he took his disciples with him, and he gave them the law on the mount. Beatitudes, all of the teachings. of it. Just You can forget that. But it's kind of interesting what Matthew does. Each of the gospel writers uh, approaches the story a bit differently, and, and it adds nuance to it. Anyway, we're going to look at chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, and we'll get back to a couple of other um, uh, passages out of five, uh, chapter 5 later. But Jesus is speaking, and he says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until... Everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That, that's enough for now. All right? Then I want you to hear as well uh, from the Apostle Paul. And these words will come on the screen too, I think. From Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says this, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I want you to listen to how Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, in the message, how he puts it. Love it. He says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Here's the first question of the day, the big question of the day, around what all of this is going to revolve. Who sets 
the standards? That's the question before us right now. Who determines the rules and the values by which you and I choose to play the game of life? Cable TV mogul Ted Turner once declared the Ten Commandments obsolete. And then he went on to list ten rules of his own. He called his standards the Ten Voluntary Initiatives. He said this, When Moses went up on the mountain, there were no nuclear weapons. There was no poverty. Today, the commandments wouldn't go over. Nobody around likes to be commanded. Commandments are out. Although, truth be told, I have this nagging suspicion that if Mr. Turner's life were being threatened by someone with a gun in a hand, Turner would probably prefer to have the, cu- the, the gunman think of the words, thou shalt not kill, as a commandment with serious and eternal consequences rather than to think of it as obsolete, a mere suggestion, um, a voluntary initiative. Who sets the standards? Does God set the standards for you, for me? Or is Ted Turner right, and divine commandments are out, so too with divine guidance? Are are we in a new day where we all get to play by our own rules? I really like that thought. Everyone gets to do what is right in his or her own eyes. Who sets the standards? Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, and the New Testament through the Apostle Paul puts that important question before us today. Who sets the standards? Now, let's begin by asking some related questions, all right? Do you know? Have you even thought about, at least recently, who sets the standards for you? Your life values and mine, where do they come from? Are we even willing to examine ourselves honestly today, and in the light of these words from Jesus, are we open to the possibility that the rules by which we play the game of life have not been set by us or by God, but in fact that they've been set by our culture, by our friends and peers, by our environment and surroundings, by what Jesus and the New Testament would call the pattern of this world. And is it possible that what the Bible calls conforming to the pattern of this world has happened so gradually and so quietly that we weren't even aware it was happening? You've probably heard it said. In fact, I'm almost certain... Most of you have heard it said that if you put a frog into a pan of boiling water, know where I'm going? Right? If you put a frog in a pan of boiling water, the frog will immediately jump out. But if you put that same frog into a pan of cool water and very, very, very gradually heat it up, the frog will remain in the pan and allow itself to be slowly cooked to death. Now, I don't know if that's true. Or if that's a legend, because I've never conducted the experiment. 
Although I did recently try fried frog legs, and I can confirm that indeed they do taste remarkably like chicken legs. But that frog in the pan thing, I've never tried that. I don't know if it's truth or legend, but I know this. It makes a really vital and important point. Isn't that precisely what happens all too often in the values arena of human life? We, we enter the world as babes. Think about it. We enter the world as babes, innocent, naive, vulnerable, ready to be molded, ready to be shaped by our surroundings, by the people who surround and influence us. We're introduced into an environment that's foreign and strange, an environment that demands we adapt and learn to fit in from infancy into childhood, through adolescence, and continuing into and throughout adulthood, the world around squeezes us gradually and quietly into its pattern, and we are often as unaware and as clueless as that frog sitting in water with the temperature slowly rising to a deadly boil. Fit in, whispers the world. Belong, shouts our peer group. Do it our way. Encourage our co-workers and business associates, our neighbors and friends and classmates and what have you. And and we have what... What some today call, have you heard this term? What some today call echo chambers. Okay? We associate only with people who look like us and who think like us and believe like us and talk like us and act like us. We read only those books and blogs, listen only to those radio or television voices that reflect our already held opinions. Echo chambers, those are called, where we hear what we want to hear, where we hear what we expect to hear, perhaps even what we somehow need to hear and are used to hearing, things that keep us feeling comfortable and, of course, right, things that never challenge our thinking, things that affirm our already formed bias, another term of the day, confirmation bias, it's called. And so we hear unawares, and we conform unawares. It just happens. We conform because, well, maybe it's just human nature to conform. We conform because we long to fit in. We conform because we want to belong. We need to be loved and liked, accepted, appreciated, affirmed. And so what do we do? We divide into tribes. And we call those tribes nations or races or political parties or sports teams or denominations or churches. Well, this goes on and on and on. Or, or perhaps, perhaps we so easily conform because we want to succeed. You know, we, we want to be somebody. At least we want to feel like somebody. We want, we want to make it. After all, making it is the object of the game, isn't it? Everybody wants to make it. Everybody wants to be somebody. Everybody wants to be a 
winner. But here's the problem, I think, maybe, perhaps, perhaps making it and becoming a somebody can become so important and so all-consuming that nobody thinks to question the rules of the game or the goal of the game. The end justifies the means, so long as the end serves me. And soon, we become like that frog in the pan. The moral temperature around us changes. It heats up. It heats up so gradually, we don't even realize that we're being cooked, sucked into the world's way of thinking, being squeezed into the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world admonishes the God of the Bible. Whoops, excuse me, my bad. We also don't like to be admonished today. Better to quickly change that sentence. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, suggests the God of the Bible. Folks, hear this. Do not miss this. We who choose, and it is a choice, we who even dare, and it is a bold choice that we make, we who dare to call ourselves by Christ's name, who claim to be followers of Jesus, we must raise the question with one another, and we must raise the question often, who sets the standards? Who establishes the rules? Who sets the values by which we play, by which we live the game of life? More than that, we must learn to identify the standards by which we're already living, and then seek to determine whether or not those standards are actually good and pleasing and perfect to God, the God who reveals himself and reveals his ways in the face of Jesus Christ. And to do that, we must see Jesus. We must look upon the face of Jesus we must know the story of Jesus. We must know the ways of Jesus. Who sets the standard? You? Me? Us? The world? Or God speaking to us and revealing himself through Jesus. God speaking to us particularly and often peculiarly through the life and teachings and character of Jesus. For those of us who claim to be Christ followers and who take that claim seriously, there is only one answer to the question, who sets the standards? For us, the God who shows himself in the face of Jesus and no other, the God who shows himself in the face of Jesus sets the standards. Jesus, by his spirit, is to be given free reign in our lives. You know what happened when I typed that sentence into my script? Autocorrect changed the word I didn't want changed. The word reign, R-E-I-G-N, is the way I want it. Autocorrect changed it to R. E-I-N. Now, I could build a whole sermon around those two words, okay, but 
That's not what I want to do. I want you to hear it with the R-E-I-G-N. That's what kings do. Jesus, by his spirit, is to be given free reign in our lives so that Lord Jesus, King Jesus, can demonstrate the standards, establish the values, determine the boundaries, set the rules by which we live the game of life. Phil Ashey, former chaplain of the Christian Legal Society, once asked what I think is a thought, I find it to be a thought-provoking question. This is the question. He said, what would happen if Christian attorneys became fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ in their primary mission field, their workplace? He was speaking to a whole bunch of lawyers. He said, what if Christ following men and women in the practice of law, stop, okay, time out, stop, because we can apply this to any and every profession, career, job, endeavor. What if Christ following men and women in the workplace or in the classroom or in the neighborhood or on the team or in the church pew, whatever, what if Christ-following men and women believed what Jesus believed with transformed minds, lived the way Jesus lived with transformed character, loved and cared the way Jesus did with transformed relationships, ministered the way Jesus ministered with transformed service, and led the way Jesus led with transformed influence. What if Christ Christ followers actually looked like Jesus and acted like Jesus. That's the question. Who sets the standard? The world proclaiming the gospel of profit and success and win at any cost, and no matter who gets hurt or used or voted off Survivor's Island? Or Jesus, who calls us to live by a different pattern? Jesus who, when asked what was the most important thing, said, worship the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Oh, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, who said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus, who said, whoever would be successful among you must be least of all and servant to all. How would, how would Jesus function in the business and professional work neighborhood schoolroom cultures of our day. Does that even matter? Is that even a valid question? Are these simply different worlds that are never meant to come together? You know, just different compartments of life that never come together. Perhaps Jesus wasn't really serious when he taught us to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where? Your will, your kingdom come, where? On earth as it is in heaven. Who set the standard? Stop. I just tricked you and you didn't catch it. I want you to notice I just dropped the S after the word set and after the word standards. Because for those who follow Jesus, the question is, who set the standard? 
Folks, I submit to you that the standard has not changed. The standard has not changed since the coming of Jesus. I submit to you that Jesus is the standard. Jesus doesn't just set the standard. Jesus is standard. The standard always looks like Jesus, always acts like Jesus, always talks like Jesus, and always loves like Jesus. Jesus says it, Matthew 5, 18, Truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus said that, by the way. He said that in response to the charge by some that they were making that Rabbi Jesus was teaching things that appeared to lower the standards. After all, had he not made it a habit to spend significant time in the company of sinners, prostitutes, and cheats, and thieves, and the like, people of questionable moral character and sleazy reputations? Surely, they reasoned. Surely he wants to abolish the law of Moses and lower the standards. But Jesus said, no, he said this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, not to lower the standards. Then he said this, but to fulfill them. Friends, Jesus doesn't set the standards. He claims to fulfill them. Jesus becomes the standard. It's all accomplished. It's all fulfilled, he says, in him. Perhaps we should stop asking the question, what would Jesus do? Remember that, that old bracelet, WWJD? Anybody ever wear one of those? Right? Okay. Good thing. It was a good thing. But maybe we need to stop asking that question and start asking the question, what did Jesus do? Three quick thoughts based on today's text. Seriously, they're quick. One, Jesus did not lower the standards. He lived up to them, and he lived them out. Jesus didn't lower the standards. He lived up to them, and he lived them out. Jesus fulfilled the law by obeying it, and because he was obedient, Jesus became the innocent Lamb of God, whose lifeblood could be poured out on a cross as a ransom for many, says our book. Jesus spent time with sinners because he was and still is the sinner's best choice and the sinner's only chance. Jesus did not lower the standards. He lived up to them and he lived them out. It's the second thing. Jesus didn't lower the standard. He raised them. That's what most of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Verse 18, again, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And by the way, it's all accomplished in him. Then he said this, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus served up a couple of examples. He said this, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a sister or brother will be subject to judgment. In other words, I don't want you to merely stop killing one another. I submit to you that's a fairly easy decision to make. There are ramifications. 
to killing somebody. I don't care whether he deserves it or not, right? You just... There are ramifications. It's fairly easy. In other words, I don't want you to merely stop, stop uh, killing one another. Jesus says, I want you to stop the anger. I want you to stop the bitterness. I want you to stop the harsh and violent words. I want you to stop demonizing and vilifying the other. Jesus commands us to deal with our anger, to deal with the internal catalyst that leads us to kill and feel like killing. Jesus raised the standard. Look at another example. Same song, different verse. You heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, I don't want you to merely stop the act of adultery. I want you to stop lusting after one another. Deal with your lust. Deal with the internal catalyst that can lead you to commit adultery. Cut the deed off at its root, and the root of it is in your mind. The root of it is in your heart. So when you find yourself caught up in the lingering look, turn your head and stop looking. Again, Jesus raised the standard. He did that consistently over and over and over again. Folks, it's easy, I think, for Christ followers to live under the misconception that Jesus lowered the standards, you know, grace upon grace. No. Jesus declared God's standards unchanging. He lived up to them. He lived them out. He raised them. Here's the third thing. Jesus didn't lower the standards. He embodied them. Now, do not miss this. It's the whole point of the morning. I don't care if you remember anything else. I only hope you remember this. Jesus didn't lower the standards. He embodied them. He internalized them. They were a part of his very character. They were a part of his very being. Right actions and right reactions flowed out of Jesus rightly because he was right on the inside. I wrote that sentence all by myself. (laughs) And it is so good, I have to read it again. Listen to it. Right action and right reactions flowed out of Jesus rightly because he was right on the inside. And he was right on the inside because as God the Son, he lived his life, both his life before becoming human and his life as a human. God the Son lived his life in intimate relationship with the one he called Father. He would not and could not be conformed to the pattern of this world because he had already been formed within the grace-filled womb of his relationship with the Father. And that's what the word is saying is the path for us as well. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Easy to say. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but... Be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind. And such transformation, what we in the church often call spiritual formation, takes place within the grace-filled womb of a relationship with Jesus and his people. Jesus longs to make us right on the inside, to see clearly and be formed rightly on the inside. In the words of the Old Testament psalmist, he wants to daily renew a right spirit within each of us. So friend, are you giving Jesus? Are you giving him that opportunity in your life? Who sets the standards? No, wrong question, strike it. Right question, who is the standard? Jesus is the standard. And he doesn't change. You've heard the verse, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Friends, hear me. Hear me say it again. Jesus is the standard. Therefore, we don't ask WWJD, what would Jesus do? No, we ask WDJD, what did Jesus do? And then we seek to do it. So, can you, can I live up to the standard? Can we internalize God's standard? That would be Jesus. So that the character of Jesus becomes one with our character? Yes, I think. But only with God's help and perhaps never perfectly. Let's cut each other a little grace here. Perhaps better to say so that the character of Jesus becomes more and more and more one with my character and yours. I, I have not arrived at perfect union with Jesus. And frankly, I don't know anyone who has. I've known a few who thought they did, but that only meant they really didn't because they lacked the humility we need in following this one. So I don't, I don't live up to this perfect. I, Lee, I don't know anyone who has. I don't even know what that would look like. Well, except that it would look like Jesus, wouldn't it? Personally, I want to look more and more like Jesus so that I can live and love more like Jesus. A friend texted me with a question, and I do not remember the question. Uh, it doesn't matter, frankly, but texted me a question, and I texted in return this response. I said, Jesus is not a doctrine to believe. Catch that? Jesus is not a doctrine to believe. No, Jesus is a person to imitate. Jesus is a person to be like. Jesus is a person to follow. And, and that's a journey, even a lifelong journey. And while I'm on that journey, with God's help, I'll do what those travelers of old used to do. I'll keep my eyes on the North Star. And the North Star is Jesus. God help me to do so. God help you to do so. And remember this. Just remember this. Put the image in your mind. Remember this. If it doesn't look like Jesus, 
If it doesn't act like Jesus, if it doesn't talk like Jesus, if it doesn't love like Jesus, it is not of Jesus. Jesus is the standard, and he's the standard in all things and every compartment of life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.